Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you here this week to recap an exhilarating Expel 375 at Texas Motor Speedway over the weekend, won by Joseph Newgarden of Team Penske. The 600th racing win for Team Penske, quite the achievement, quite the race. And Justin, hello. And we have quite a lot to discuss, not just recapping the race, but just so many storylines from this weekend as well. Very, very exciting weekend for IndyCar on track. Maybe not as much in the stands, but plenty to get to here as we have a couple-week break before IndyCar back in action at Long Beach. But still busy because they're testing the new engine for the first time. They are. At the IMS road course on the F1 layout next week. So... We'll have plenty to to talk about. Weather permitting. Always true. Always weather permitting. You never know in Indiana. Just this week we've had, what, it hit 70 plus. Uh, Today it's, you know, 40 maybe and rainy. It's supposed to be snow later on. Yeah, snow later on this weekend. I think a high (laughs) of like 30 on Sunday. So who knows what we're going to get from day to day here in the Hoosier State. So a, a thrilling race on Sunday afternoon. For the people who attended in person and for the people who watched across NBC. A lot Peacock. more people watched, we'll say that. Yes, a lot more <laughs> watched than attended, absolutely. And this was was quite the race, and, and we'll get into our three things. I think number one, to me, sadly, this felt like Fontana 2.0. And by that I mean you have an all-time race. Now, I don't think this was as good as Fontana. When you're looking at non-Indy 500s, of course. Right. Fontana is kind of like the gold standard Fontana 2015. Um, I don't know if this is quite up to that level, but it's close. It was a great race, great finish, obviously, great second half of the race. The first half of the race was solid, but it it did not compare at all to what we saw in the second half. But I guess my first takeaway is simply, it feels like Fontana 2.0, where you put on an amazing product in front of, what, maybe 10,000 people? If you're lucky. And here we are debating, well, will Texas be back? I just, I don't feel as confident despite the product on the track being much improved? Well, I'm not going to go as far as to say it was a great race. I will say it was a great finish. And I think there's a difference because I think the the first 100 laps, while better than last year, was not, you know, vintage Texas. And I don't think the entire race wasn't vintage Texas, but it was a hell of a lot better than what we've seen the last couple years. So I I think the ending is an all-time indie car finish in my opinion in terms of how joseph newgarden won that race but the entire 248 uh, i'm not whether willing to say it was great but i think it was a step in the right direction at texas but is it too little too late and and if we go by if the stands were in indication it's going to be tough to bring this thing back i think there's ways to improve the attendance and and I told you before we started recording, you know, I, I think Eddie Gossage was a lot of very good things to IndyCar and, and motorsport, but I think he was very much stuck in the past in terms of how to promote a race, how to, um, you know, market an event. It, it's no longer here. We have a race and these cars go fast and they're close together and tens of thousands of people are going to show up. You can't do that anymore. I think the new track president is aware of that. And if IndyCar is to return to Texas, I think you're going to have to see a revamped marketing and uh, promotion system. And it can't be IndyCar. IndyCar cannot be in the business of promoting, um, you know, 
several races. It's doing uh, you know something at Iowa that hopefully works out, but it's it's a road that IndyCar can't afford to go on. And quite frankly, I think IndyCar has a couple ovals in mind that could potentially replace Texas in the short term. Yeah, and we talked about that last week, right? I mean, Homestead is the prime example, and then Milwaukee has been mentioned on social media in the last week plus. It it doesn't seem like there's much legs to that. No, I, it's just I have a hard time thinking Milwaukee's going back, and I think Texas is going to be one of those tracks that if it does go away, it'll fall into the Michigan and, and Milwaukee. People will want to go back to Texas, and I think absence makes the heart grow fonder in a lot of ways. I, I think a couple year break from Texas could be the best thing for both the series and the track when it comes to open wheel racing. We shall see as Texas and Toronto, I think we're 1A, 1B, probably flip those around as Toronto 1A, Texas 1B on the tracks that we feel are most in danger of not being on the schedule in 2023. Uh, What's your first takeaway? Let's talk Team Penske. One, two, four in this race. Of course, Newgarden getting the win, McLaughlin, McLaughlin leading the most laps by a clear margin and willpower in the conversation to get a win. Team Penske on on their start to the season, phenomenal. Two wins. Uh, they've dominated what I want to say six of the eight podium spots over two races. And this is a team that also tested at Texas, you know, what, seven to ten days before yeah. the event. Well, and, and funny you mentioned that. So Penske, they had bad weather. So Penske decided to come back, you know, the next day. Right. Ganassi did, did not. not. And while they recovered well... With, uh, you know, Dixon fifth, Jimmy Johnson sixth. I'm surprised that wasn't your first point. But I'm sure we'll get to it. And and that, um, in the end, it was, uh, you know, Erickson third. But in the end, it was a, a weekend dominated by Team Penske, and it showed. And um, that's kind of my, my takeaway, because we've had years where we're saying, wow, you know, Penske off to a slow start, but they've really hit the ground running here in 2022. Yeah, complete turnaround from last year where they're getting podiums, but it took, what, nine races for them to get their first win of the season in 2021. Uh, you know, funny you mentioned Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> uh, I got one one other note on on your, your point about Penske, their start to the season. So Beyond the Flag on Twitter posted this the other day. IndyCar laps led last year, Alex Pillow. Led 137 laps in 16 races. He was the champion through two races. Scott McLaughlin has led 235 laps, and they they captured that by saying scary stuff. That's wild. It's it's been a phenomenal start to the season for McLaughlin and Team Penske. Not that it's a big surprise as far as Penske having success, but McLaughlin uh, is a true championship contender. Yeah, and you look at it, you know, how how quick things can change. Because you could have looked at Penske entering the, the season and say, you have an established driver in New Garden. Is, is Will Power potentially on the back portion of his career? Is he going to decline? And then McLaughlin was still the unknown. Does he have it in him to be a consistent race winning contender for Team Penske? And through two races, we're seeing Will Power rejuvenated, I would say. And we're seeing Scott McLaughlin prove that... The hiring of him by Team Penske for IndyCar was definitely the right decision. He proves it on a street course and now it is an, it is an oval. So uh, in, in terms of, of what has changed in, in people's minds with Team Penske, a lot has changed in two races. And we shouldn't be all that surprised with his performance because remember last year, he was second at one of the yeah. Texas doubleheader races. I believe it was the first one. So And top 10 in both, if I'm not mistaken. So McLaughlin's performance at Texas should have not been a surprise coming in to this weekend. 
All right. Point number two. Funny you mentioned uh, Jimmy Johnson. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of rattling through my head about my points before we were about to start recording and legitimately forgot about it. So I'm glad you brought it up because he will be my, (laughs) my second takeaway. How about Jimmy Johnson? Started 18th, which I think, you know, I don't know if I had expectation for where he was going to start at this track. He's tested there twice. You have a couple practice sessions. He did not take part in the special special session uh, Saturday evening, late afternoon, early evening uh, to kind of rubber in the track. But qualifying at Texas, as long as you're not at the very back of the field, and even then, it's really not bit that big of a deal, right? Right. You're, you're actually better off as far as being able to win the race, not qualifying on pole, because I think the race winner is, hasn't won from pole. Is is it ever? I, I don't know if it's ever, but it's been a minute. It's, and it's been a long time. Yeah, It's one of the very few races on the schedule. Let's be honest, where you can say while starting position matters, it's not a huge, huge impacting thing. I think there's only a, you know, two or three races. Maybe you can say that about on the schedule. So this from Chad 200 from last week, and we mention it, so I'm pulling the stat back up. Only six of 34, now 35, races have been won from pole. Last time was back in 2010. So that shows you how rare it is to uh, win from the pole at Texas. With that said, decent qualifying job. And to me, his race was all about just get through the start, check that box. Get through the first half, check that box, and then go after it. And he did all of the above. And just a phenomenal job by him, by the team. He picked his spots. He was patient, which I think is something he was very good at in his cup career. Just be patient, picking his spots and letting the race come to him. Should have been a top five, if not for an alarm going off in his cockpit late in the race. And I mean, legitimately passing guys like Scott Dixon, Simon Pagano. I mean, what more can you say? I have to gloat because th- this is the first time in what? First time a, in a two year, years. A year and a half. <laughs> that I have talked about Jimmy Johnson and he has exceeded everyone's expectations. Legitimately, you look at the Indy 500 coming up here in two months time. He'll have so much more track time there. He's already tested there. And so with a a week of practice and and qualifying and, and all that, so much track time, he'll get familiar with the track. He'll be the most prepared for any race he's had in his time in IndyCar and his engineer, Eric Cowan, said, all right, let's go win the Indy 500 at the end of the race. And I thought, okay, that's a bit of a stretch. But probably, but when you look at it, he legitimately should probably be on that second tier of contenders. I think there's not as many similarities between Texas as Indian- and Indianapolis as people think. But you make a great point in terms of being able to test and be on track. And as you mentioned, Jimmy Johnson was able to get an exceptional amount of t- track time at Texas and in IndyCar, and he what has over eleven thousand laps overall at Texas in his career. Yeah, so I don't think that can be discounted. I don't I don't know how much you can take from a Cup car to a, an IndyCar in terms of drivability. Probably very little. But the fact that he's been around that place eleven thousand times um, says a lot, and he's he does have a lot of seat time and track time at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, albeit in a stock car, but I, I I really feel that he has a good chance of, of being respectable in May. And I'm not saying he's, he's a, you know, has a chance to win the race, but after what we saw this past weekend, and I'm, I've been one of the biggest critics of Jimmy Johnson and critics of you of being a pro Jimmy (laughs) Johnson guy, or at least leading the, uh, 
the Jimmy Johnson club, apologist. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. That you know he did a great job um, staying out of trouble. That's one of the big keys at Texas. Going to be one of the big keys at Indianapolis, and and drove a great race. And you know I'm gonna, I'm I'm here to say I was very very impressed with Jimmy Johnson at Texas. And I'm not predicting for the record. I'm not predicting him to win the Indy 500. I'm not saying he's you know on the short list of contenders, but I'm saying. He would be a dark horse pick in that second, maybe third tier of guys who legitimately could win the race and you wouldn't be completely shocked. His performance this weekend was more about, I mean, his goal going in was finish all the laps. Well, he did that, and by doing so, you avoid the trouble, you, you move up in the field, and he was competitive when it mattered most. And it's crazy how it almost seemed like every incident happened right in front of him. Was able to avoid it and... You know, it's just overall momentum for for Jimmy Johnson and that entire team is, you know, when you keep finishing, you know, 19th, 20th or worse every race, it, it can it can really bog you down. But, you know, really was able to get a great performance. And at the very least, it's given that team some positivity over the next couple of weeks before we get to Long Beach. And mentioning Long Beach, there's a track where he's probably not going to perform well at. Yeah. Yeah. With with and it's very difficult to get practice time at Long Beach. So he'll ride that top six finish high, then go to Long Beach, and then there will be more expectation for him once he gets back to Indianapolis uh, for the Indy 500. All right, what's your uh, next takeaway? Well, let's let's talk about Andretti Autosport. We mentioned uh, Penske and just how impressive they have been over the first two weeks. Let's talk the opposite end of the spectrum and Andretti Autosport, and particularly at Texas. You have Rossi early dropping out. You have Grosjean with issues um you know throughout andretti you know DeFrancesco was a problem before he before he fell out so what's going on at andretti autosport i feel once again we're making excuses um that that the gremlins or bad luck but how long can bad luck go before it becomes a trend and before you can point the finger at andretti autosport behind the scenes engineering setups um what they're doing and not doing to the cars because as you mentioned caleb you know before we started recording andretti autosport seems to have as many problems engineering a car than any other team on the grid let alone the bigger teams when we talk about the the big four or so is andretti autosport has a fair amount of issues more so than ganassi more so than penske and at this point, you have to really seriously start questioning what's going on behind the scenes with that team. It's just not getting any better over the last year, two years. So Rossi had the electrical issue. Grosjean seemed like an engine blue, issue, yeah. so he'll probably have a fresh engine for Long Beach here in a couple weeks. You didn't even mention Devlin DeFrancesco, who seemed to be right around all three incidents, um, including the one that eventually took him, him out as he... Uh, Touched Ray Hall, and then Ray Hall had nowhere to go and took out Elio. But even before that, uh, with Sato, he was right there, right? And then also, was he right there with Kirkwood, too? Uh, he was around all three of those. And I don't know if it was the line he was running or what, but I think um, he didn't make very many friends on Sunday. No. And, you know, that's what you get. It's amazing that the rookie drivers didn't do worse than they did. I, I mean, right? Kirkwood... Uh, crashed. Obviously, Devin D. Francesco crashed and, and took out 
Graham and Elio with that. And David Malukas had an incredible save. Uh, Lungard wasn't really a factor. No, he finished 19th. Uh, it, he, it mentions contact in the box score. I guess I don't recall that. No, me neither. I mean, I lot, um, you know, uneventful. But, I mean, you look at Andretti Autosport, and once again, it's Colton Hurta. Now, he finished 12th. Wasn't that impressive? They screwed him over again late in the Pit race. When they were, yeah, when they were making him make a fuel number, and he was asking, like, did we not get a full fill or something? And they said, no, we filled it full. So even strategy is biting Andretti at this point. Why was Colton Hurta having issues making it to the end of the race when other drivers weren't? And, you know, if he had to make a fuel number, they they should have done that a lot earlier than when they told him because he had to make some astronomical you know, number. So top to bottom right now, Andretti Autosport has a lot of questions. And we, we've said, you know, it's Rossi, uh, it's the team. Right now, it's everybody, all the above. It is very much a a gun at Andretti Autosport that has one bullet in the chamber, and that's Colton Herta. And they can't even get things right for Colton Herta, at least at Texas. I will say this, they head to Long Beach, another street course, another opportunity where they're, you know, usually strong at. Hurt has been great at Long Beach. Rossi's been great at Long Beach. I think their fortunes turn around at Long Beach. I mean, you would hope for sure. Uh, you know, at the very least, you know, when we talk about Alexander Rossi in particular, and he does not maximize the opportunities that he does have, but he frequently is bitten by gremlins mechanically. And we can throw up our arms and say, oh, that's bad luck. Or we can throw up our arms and say, maybe the engineering crew at Andretti Autosport needs to get its crap together because this seems to be happening more often at that team than anywhere else in the paddock. All right, I'm going to go with another team for my third point, and I hope you take a driver from a separate team for yours because I think he deserves some love. Um, But McLaren, the high of getting the pole with Felix Rosenquist is, is second career pole, first on an oval. On, on Saturday to Sunday's race, um, did not go his way. They they had mechanical issue, back-to-back bad pit stops for well, and then both drivers. Within, within 10, 15 seconds of each other. Yeah. And the, the craziest part is he was on the pole. He did not lead, uh, Felix did not lead a single lap. Ouch. I mean, the highs of Saturday and the lows of Sunday, McLaren really didn't deliver. Pato Ward, 15th. Rosenquist uh, with the mechanical issue uh, back in 21st. They get a pull. They don't lead any laps. And at one point, both drivers were in the top five, I think, early on in the race. It's just a, a really bad start to the season, I think, for a team that we had high expectations for. A, a driver who needs to rebound this season, Felix Rosenquist, yeah. and another driver who we thought would be a championship contender. And so far... Again, it's very early, very early, but so far, not a good start for Pato Award to the season. Yeah, and and we're gonna stick to our to our mandate of uh, you know point no points talk after the five hundred, but we can talk about slow starts. And Pato Award has done it, you know, this year. And we said, you know, maybe with a successful season, whatever that looks like, could it be his final season in IndyCar? And you look at Felix Rosenquist, who definitely needs results to keep his seat in twenty twenty three. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, a pole was a step in the right direction, but finishing 21st isn't. And, you know, one driver, you know, going through his pit box that has to be dragged back, the other one hitting a crew dry, a crewmate. Um, 
in the same sequence of pit stops. It just wasn't a good look for McLaren. It wasn't a good weekend at all for McLaren all around when we, talk, when we throw in Formula One. So it's a difficult <laughs> place to be right now for McLaren on both sides of the pond right now. And if we're talking IndyCar only, definitely a slow start for both of those drivers, despite getting the pole on Saturday. Hey, at least the IndyCar outfit was more competitive than Couldn't the be Formula much less. 1 outfit. Uh, they Unbelievable. Were very Haas-like. Old school Haas, because look, you got Not Kevin Magnussen <laughs> uh, competing for uh, you know top five. So, uh, But yeah, definitely a weekend to forget if you're McLaren. All right, your third takeaway. Well, I think we can delve a little bit deeper into the racing at Texas and what we saw and what we didn't see. And I think it was a disappointment, first off, that only, what, seven six, seven, eight cars went out to try to lay rubber on that second line. And, you know, it was no Ganassi cars, no Andretti cars, I want to say. Um, you know, it just so happened that we saw Will Power go out. Penske got some, laid some rubber down. But I think there were signs that it could work. You know, we learned over the weekend that the PBJ is no longer on the track. It's resin. And apparently it's less... I don't know the difference between PBJ and resin. I really don't. They were kind of explaining it, but you know, I I don't think, I think one reacts to things differently and maybe not as drastically Uh, resin against uh, PBJ, PJ one. So I think there's some positivity. We saw the beginnings of a, you know, half line, maybe not a a true two line race, but there's definitely some positivity. I think the, the selection of downforce that IndyCar was able to give the teams helped a lot. Change in, by like 150 pounds, I believe. Yeah, and and so I think it was definitely steps in the right direction. You you and I agreed last week that no, no matter what IndyCar tried, it wouldn't work. I think that was wrong. We, we looked at, at what they did. I think they could have done more earlier, but for what they did, I think it, it did help the show on Sunday. So... There are signs that Texas can work on track. The problem is in the stands. And when there's nobody there, it really doesn't matter how good of a show you put on. Referenced Fontana earlier. And so I think that's what Texas needs to figure out because I I think that we saw enough to say the show can be better based on a variety of factors. I, I think it didn't help that the earliest, the early start time, 1130 local, uh, is not good, uh, not conducive. I, I think mid-afternoon is fine, particularly in March. If it stays in March, you're not going to have to worry about those those really, really hot temperatures. So, yeah, I you know, think 1.30, 2.30 start. I, I think, you you know, you mentioned the, the date of the race changing. Last year, it was April, like, 30th and May 1st, I believe. And then, obviously, in the past, it was, you know, around that June 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th kind of time frame. Way hotter, obviously, in June at Green yeah. Flag. You're talking 90 to 95 at Green Flag. Even, you know, a, a, a month and change from now, you're, you're pushing, you're looking at highs in the 80s to maybe low 90s. So the temperature change, I think, also helped the racing quite a bit. Oh, definitely. That's something we didn't really mention last last week. But, you know, cooler temps allowed better grip and, and speedier, um, you know, cars. You know, I, I felt like I... Almost sent you a text, uh, and usually I do. I don't know why I didn't during qualifying because they kept hyping up the the chance to break the speed record, and they were like a mile and a half hour off. It was like two twenty two five is what they had to break six, and they were running what two twenty one or 
and I, it was like a mile and a half a mile and a half per hour off and i was like there's no way they're even sniffing that record but they kept harping on harping on harping on it and it was just kind of laughable to me i was like there's no way they're getting that average but anyway faster speeds you know racier cars i i think it worked um that day i'd push it back a little bit during the day but i, I think there's there's bigger efforts that need to happen on a Texas motor speedway to make that thing work all, all around. But there were positive signs for sure. Well, and a, a quick shout out to the drivers who kind of risked it. Let's be honest. They risked it. Ed Carpenter, Elio, Pato, Will Power, Graham Ray Hall, Felix Rosenquist, and Takuma Sato who took part in that 30 minute session to help rubber in the track. And kudos to them i, I if i'm indycar would have made it mandatory i would have give everybody an extra set of tires and say you're out there running for minimum 15 minutes 20 minutes but they didn't do it i think if everybody had run there would have been a legit chance to have a legit two lines i feel for sure all right bonus point for me santino ferrucci i can't you know go any further without talking about his performance harvey reportedly had a cracked tub after that vicious crash uh, he was ruled out, and you know, hopefully his recovery will continue. We don't really know the extent of his injuries, uh, but Santino Ferrucci, who lives in the Dallas area, stepping in, getting a top 10 result with what? I think one, they said one lap at speed yeah. on Sunday morning. So all that said, a ninth. I mean, this guy is an oval. He's the true oval specialist in the field right now. He absolutely is, and you would say conventionally, you'd say, man, he made a lot of friends in the paddock in terms of showcasing <laughs> that, but we know that's not the case. Um, it, it's a driver that I know so many people were like, why isn't Santino Ferrucci in the in the series full time? He just doesn't have a lot of friends in the paddock, but he definitely can wheel a car around an oval, and he further showed that on on Sunday. So, very impressive performance out of uh, out of Santucci. Santucci with another top 10 on an oval. This should be expected. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, uh, he, he once again proves that uh, take your helmet no matter where you go if you're a driver. All right, let's talk about the downsides <laughs> away okay. from the track. So, obviously, number one is the promotion of the event. Jenna Fryer had a great thread. Uh, Jenna Fryer, the Associated Press, great thread, I think, on Friday leading up to the race weekend on her Twitter account talking about the lack of promotion, basically everyone on Twitter saying that they didn't hear any ads. They didn't see any ads. They didn't, you know, whether it's TV billboard online basically said there was zero promotion uh, of this. And with all that, the fact that they put together a decent race that had a decent TV rating, um, I, I guess good for IndyCar. It, it, it's still a massive disappointment to have a race in what the, what is it? The the fourth, fifth busi- fifth biggest, biggest market I think, metropolitan in the, area in the yeah in the, the U.S. Country. and you don't get yeah. any promotion. However, the positive is after the race in Victory Lane, Rob Ramage um, talking with Roger Pinsky and basically everything pointed to we'll, we'll be back. Which uh, you hope so, but something has to change in terms of the fans. Look. Is is Texas still getting that sweetheart deal that Eddie Gossage always seemed to get for the for the sanctioning fee? Because uh, you have to think they're losing their butt at the gate if they're paying a lot of money for the sanctioning fee. So you know 
in the end, these tracks are trying to make money too. And if if the track if the track president wants IndyCar to come back, you'd think that they have a plan in place to make it you know a little bit more populous in the stands. But you know, is it an event that's been taken for granted down there because it's been such a constant on the schedule? I mean, maybe um, there's no doubt that it's not as exciting as it used to be. But the crowd that we saw over the weekend was just absolutely embarrassing. There's no other way to put it. And you would hope the track president and TMS staff have some plans to, to try to revitalize that event because IndyCar can't be in the business of promoting too many events. Okay. They need willing partners and willing tracks to be able to do that themselves. And I think IndyCar has some other options, uh, how likely they are, who knows, but you're looking at, at Richmond and, and Homestead as potential options I mean, it can't be much worse at either of those venues in terms of attendance. No, no. I, I mean, I think you get more just because it'd be the first year of IndyCar back at yeah. that whatever particular track. And I, I really think the best thing for IndyCar long term at Texas could be at least a one year hiatus is, you know, GMS try to figure their stuff out. Maybe we're gone for a couple years and really reinvigorate this event and us going down to Texas because it's almost become just another event. And I think down there, maybe it's, it's, oh yeah, IndyCar's back at Texas. They've been here 20 some years, you know, whatever. And it just kind of lost that luster and maybe they need to go away for a couple years to maybe have people clamoring for it to come back. Kind of like people are, Hey, Milwaukee and, Hey, Michigan, and and you know maybe next year people are like, hey, Texas, because it's not on the schedule. I will say this: uh, Jenna Fryer uh, said Penske spoke with the new TMS general manager in Victory Lane. Says talks on a new contract will come. I will say this about Texas: if you keep the date consistent, let's also not forget about that. They've gone from traditionally always being like you know first second weekend in June. Last year moved way up before the Indy 500 because Penske wants an oval before the Indy 500. To now here in mid to late March, you got to keep the date consistent so people can know, oh, hey, IndyCar's back. Right. If they return, keep the date consistent because that's what we've seen IndyCar do with tracks over the years. Yeah. And not necessarily, not necessarily recently, but in the past, that was always a problem where you're shuffling dates around all the time and fans don't really know when to expect the race. And don't forget, Eddie Gossage was very bullish about being as close to the Indianapolis 500 as possible afterwards. He was always clamoring for that week after, right, that's now been Detroit. So he was always very, very adamant that Texas needed to be as close after the Indianapolis 500 as possible. I don't know how enticed he was about this March date, but I think it works a lot better. And I feel like with proper promotion and marketing, it could really be a race that gets... You know, I don't know. Realistically, what would you say? You know, we're not getting back to eighty, ninety thousand, but could you no. get twenty-five to thirty thousand at Texas? Oh, easily. I would. You know? I would think you could get more, especially as you get more crossover fans from Formula One to IndyCar. I think that right. will help. We're just not seeing the fruits of that just yet. And it's very much a track that has no other equal on the schedule right now. We talk about mile and a halfs and how common they are in cup and all that stuff. But just with the banking and the speeds that we see, uh, Texas is in a world of its own. And you hope it stays around because, uh, you know, when we talk about diversity in this series, it's the only high banked oval that size on the schedule. And you hope it sticks around. 
you can't run all short ovals in the Indy 500 and that be your over oval schedule if you want to be diverse. And you talk about super speedways and I mean Indianapolis Motor Speedway I guess is a super speedway when we think about super speedways in my mind I think about high speeds and high banking and there's only one of those on the schedule right now and it's Texas. Agreed. And talking about a, a future track Marshall Pruitt of Racer uh, tweeting, I asked Mark Miles about it, it being Milwaukee, when I saw him on pit lane last weekend. He didn't say yes, and he didn't say no. did say that adding a new oval to next year's calendar was not impossible, but also not a high probability. I just, I don't understand the Milwaukee thing. It went away, they tried it again, and people can criticize Andretti about how they went about it, but the fact is there was a race there, and no matter what the ancillary things were going on, there was a race and people didn't go to it. And in the end, no matter what's going on around you, it's still a race going on. And if nobody showed up last time, what what changes? And in my opinion, and from what I've heard, there's a lot that needs done with that track to make it you know, raceable again. Is that IndyCar having to foot that bill? Is that a promoter coming in and fronting that money? And what does it do to your, your event at Road America if you, you add Milwaukee back? Do they have safer barriers at Milwaukee? They would have had to if they raced. That's true. That's you know, true. Earlier, so. But I think the I think the track itself is fine. The facilities though right. need an upgrade, is my understanding. Yeah, and who's fronting that bill? I mean, you have to imagine it's it's six figures at least, uh, maybe even to the millions. And IndyCar can't be in the business of spending millions on revitalizing a track. And you know, is there a promoter willing to push that much money into it? So, I I. I I don't know. I, I just I get frustrated with all the pipe dreams in Milwaukee because we tried it already and people didn't show up. I showed up when they had it back in. See, you did your part. Yeah, I I went in 2012 and was Road America on the schedule in 2012. No, that's so, the that's the other yeah. thing. You you have a great thing with Road America, and I don't know how the dates align, but it the the other time to make it work would be having, I think, IndyCar at Milwaukee. In August during the fair, but they make too much money on parking, I guess, is my understanding oh, during really? the fair yeah. for the track. And then it's also close to, I think, a cup date or something at Road America or something going on. So I mean, it, just, it doesn't work. Maybe that's the key. Maybe working with the state fair, because you look at, uh, you know, Oklahoma and, and Texas playing at the Cotton Bowl during the Texas State Fair every single year. And that seems to still be a marquee event, right? Between two rivals at a state at the state fair. Could IndyCar build something around the state fair. You mentioned the, the parking stuff, but there has to be some sort of monetary arrangement they can make to kind of uh, facilitate that and, and maybe make it into an event similar to what I'm still going to call the red river shootout is, is where you have a huge sporting event going around, going on in the midst of the state fair. Thank you for not calling it the red river showdown, which yeah. I think a sponsor tried the, to do a couple years ago, the red river rivalry. Which is the, I guess, the politically correct name now. Yeah, apparently you can't refer to anything with guns in it because that's <laughs> going to make a bunch of people go out and shoot each other. <laughs> just calling it the Red River Shootout, yeah, apparently. because they score a lot of points. <laughs> that, that's why it's called that. But a- anyway, uh, anyway, we digress. TV rating. NBC got a .62 rating, 954,000 viewers for Sunday's race. That's TV only. Fine. I, I think we we're both hoping for a million plus. I get it. You're competing against March Madness in, in the U.S., the NCAA tournament. You're competing with the F1 race literally ending as IndyCar was about to go green. Right. So 
Very much a Memorial Day Sunday day. You could watch Formula One, then watch IndyCar, and then watch Cup. That's true. Uh, The positive is when you combine last year's ratings, again, both races on NBCSN last year, but the doubleheader, 363,000, 411,000. You combine that, 774,000. IndyCar still got more viewers. So that's a positive. Um, I guess you take it. Again, I think we're hoping for, you know, a million plus. Yeah, that's um, that's kind of my baseline. 12,000 on Peacock, I guess, is what I'm seeing out there. 966,000 over the broadcast. Um, now, see, now this is confusing. Last year's rating. So, okay, that was the this season rating of... 954,000. I'm seeing mixed numbers. <laughs> 954,000 is the, the TV only thing. I guess I'm not seeing the Peacock numbers anywhere here. Which means they must not have been good. No. If they're not reporting them. My my baseline is is a million for, for races on network. Fair or not, that's kind of where I look is you hope to get a million every single NBC event and you didn't get it at Texas, unfortunately. But, you know, Compared to NBCSN races, it was very good. Just remember, they got over a million for an NBCSN race last year very in Nashville. True. <laughs> yeah, see? So, um, you know, but to be fair, and I think this is part of, you know, the crowd too, is everybody anticipated another processional, one-lane, boring Texas race. And it was not that. And I think, you know, fans that otherwise would have attended didn't, and probably fans that otherwise would have tuned in didn't. And we can already look ahead to Long Beach. That'll be competing against the Masters. <laughs> well, I mean, at this in this landscape, you're most likely going to be competing against something almost every weekend. That's true. And, you know, once you get past that, it, yes, there will be NBA playoffs. There will be baseball. There will be yeah, hockey. But nothing huge. But you're always going to have golf. I know Masters is another level, but you're always going to have golf. You're always going to have true. other things going on. For sure. All right, so that's a look at the ratings. A couple other notes. Marcus Erickson, his first oval podium. Really strong race for him. Um, and let's be honest, you know, for Marcus Erickson, you know, winning a race was big last year, but he continues to be a guy that needs to show his capabilities because that seat, I would say, isn't necessarily secured for ne- next year if he has an underwhelming season. So it's a big result for Marcus Erickson. And then also this from Trackside Online. 284 passes for position in the race Sunday. Five previous IndyCar races at Texas average 172.4, 65% increase. 284 passes for position. Also 44 more passes than the two races combined for in 2021. And then also this from IndyCar 1909, 15 lead changes in the XPL 375, most at Texas Motor Speedway since 2017, which had 23. And that was regarded by a lot of people as the last like really great Texas right. race. Yeah, so it's been a minute. It's been five years since that uh, that last really exceptional race at Texas. So positive steps in the right direction. Hopefully, it leads to a new contract at Texas. I feel if it was another stinker, going to be a tough sell all around. For sure. But the fact that there was a lot of positivity out of that race on Sunday means that uh, I think you know both sides are more uh, willing to come to some sort of arrangement. All right, some other fun nuggets from this race before we move on. Charlie Kimmel was a co-race strategist for Ed Carpenter and Ed Carpenter Racing. 
uh, in Sunday's race. Also, with that, first time Ed Carpenter Racing has run three cars outside the Indy 500. So good for them. Yeah. Renus VK for a second looked like he uh, may pull off a race win. Yeah, got led some laps. Exciting run until uh, the fuel strategy did not work in his favor. And some fun nuggets in uh, Marshall Pruitt's uh, cool down lap for Texas Motor Speedway. Miles Rose, USF 2000 driver, also a film student in New York. He's spent the weekend working as a media intern for CoForce PR, which is run by Anders Krohn. Um, they do a lot of PR for drivers and across the series. So cool. He has that opportunity there. And the, I mean, great opportunity for miles road to, to like network and get yes. to know because <laughs> it's all about who, you know, in a lot of fields, you know, that that's always, they tell you, regardless of, of what kind of business you go into in career field is networking, 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 and it's even bigger in motor racing. So it's going to be huge for miles row on and off the track to do, to do those things. And then also shout out to uh, a former champ car driver and former split era driver of the week here on the show. Charlie Nearbird. Hey, hey, was a guest of uh, McLaren last weekend. He's a Texas oil man. I remember talking about him because Marshall said Texas oil man. That's right. Avid vintage racer as his ex Williams and McLaren F1 cars, Porsche, AAR sports cars at uh, some of the historic events. So, and then finally, Joseph Newgarden has nicknamed J.R. Hildebrand, who was back in action in the four, uh, 14, wow, the 11 car uh, for A.J. Foyt Racing over the weekend as Pit Lane Jesus. <laughs> it fits. It fits. It's a great nickname. All right, so that wraps up uh, all things from Texas. Any other final thoughts for you? Well, I think we came out of the weekend a little more positive than when we went into the weekend, and I think that was a, a, a great Great thing all around. Despite the paltry crowd, I think there was enough to take out of there that it wasn't a uh, a complete bust at Texas this year. We went in as pessimists and we leave optimists. Yeah, and that's very tough for us to uh, to both be in that camp after a particular race or any topic on this podcast for that matter. <laughs> that's uh, very, very true. <laughs> all right. Well, if if you agree with us, disagree, want to make your opinion heard, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for our email list so you never miss an episode. And you can follow us on your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts. If you uh, follow us for free on there, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating and also write a review if you're re- really, really nice. You can also find us on Spotify. Amazon Music, or wherever you find your podcasts all for free. And we'd love to interact with you on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCar Podcast. On Facebook, like us, just search for New Track Record. And you can email us, Podcast at gmail.com. Okay, Justin, time for the mailbag. And this week, we have an insane amount of content to Let's get to. Let's go. We tried to pare some of this down, but there's just so much, so many opinions so much on Rate the Race, so much on Texas. It's it's just a lot, but it's a good thing. Yes, absolutely. A lot of feedback. All right. First off from Poet Shevchenko, this week's, a.k.a. last week's, Random Split Era Driver of the Week was the rare case where the question was not, who the heck is that? But instead, what the heck team is that? I was talking it about was. Michael Shank, and I can't even remember the Me team. Me neither, and it doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, so no. it would have to really do some deep diving because we're lazy, and if there's not a Wikipedia page for something... Uh, we, we think it's a lost cause. Absolutely. Um, continuing on this question. And so I, I posted a poll, be honest. What sporting event has your attention this weekend? 
Uh, 52% of you said the Expel 375. 25% said Bahrain GP, kickoff for F1. 19% March Madness, 4% Sebring. Uh, JP underscore Orlowski 27 said, I just arrived in Texas today, so I'm kind of preoccupied with thinking about IndyCar. A lot of people at the race. Uh, Hunter's Way 67, UCLA Hoops on Saturday, IndyCar on Sunday. Tyler underscore Allen. Um, all the above. Even at NASCAR at Atlanta with the new configuration. Busy racing weekend with Sebring thrown in, which sure. I did not catch any of. Uh, run underscore Mark underscore run. It's probably Bahrain, Sebring, TMS after March Madness. Nigar's great racing, but running in a 1.5 mile oval on a Sunday afternoon has zero appeal to me. Long Beach or Watkins Glen might unseat Bahrain in this order. Andy Nathan said IndyCar, March Madness, F1 slash Sebring tie. Um, and in the cup race in Atlanta. Uh, let's see who else. Tudor Indy says, I'm at TMS, but keeping an eye on Sebring and F1. Scuba Steve 85, Texas, probably going to be a single file snooze fest. And the new cars at Bahrain are likely going to make that more interesting. He new- batted 500. There. Yes. One out of two. Yes. Bauer Racing says, I'll be at TMS with dozens of other fans. And we and- saw dozens on TV. <laughs> Sunset Limited was one of the dozens. He said, I'll be one of them. <laughs> How about that? So I think we're, we've heard from half of the crowd. Yes. It, that's what was <laughs> shocking, I, I think. Um, we, we heard from two of the 12 people who showed yeah. up. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't help that it's a cavernous or stay. I mean, it's a crap ton of seats there. Uh, Ramsey's underscore a underscore Perez. Talking about silly season stuff. What about Rossi to Ganassi and award to Penske? You know, I think that would have been more possible, you know, a year ago. But I think this year moving forward, I, I don't think that's as strong of a possibility. It sounds like Jimmy Johnson is kind of locking in that seat. Yeah, he definitely is. Now, Marcus Erickson's seat, could that be potentially open? Who knows? I, I feel... There, there's been stuff thrown around that Alexander Rossi, if he has another stinker of a season, isn't going to be as coveted as people think. But I, I feel like people are going to look at the way he started his career and he's got an Indianapolis 500 win that he just needs to change the scenery to regain that. And I don't think that's going to scare away too many suitors. I really feel regardless of what happens this year, it's not going to change who's interested in Alexander Rossi at the end of the season or for that matter right now. Rate the race. Scale of one to ten, what's your rating? Eight and a half. I'll go nine point five. Really? The the first half was fine, but it, there was a bit of a lull. You you obviously had plenty of green flag pit stops, green flag lead changes, passes for the lead, great finish. I don't give out tens for nothing. A lot of people <laughs> did though. But you're very close. Yes. DC Soda gave it a nine. Solid action and great to have a pass for the win, but was bun that bummed that Andretti continues to have baffling issues, but their driver's out of contention. Yeah, we touched on that. Uh, JP underscore Orlowski 27. I'll give it an 8.5 out of 10. It surprised me. I was there all weekend and uh, I think there's a typo here, but talking about the rubbering session helped massively, but I think a longer time or something like that would only improve it more. Uh, I am analog says 10. Really impressed with a lot of drivers. McLaughlin, Ray Hall, Malukas, JJ Eilat, it's a shame Scott McLaughlin lost it at the end. He was dominant. Bill Hesse says, fantastic race, passing close finish. Where are the fans? Great question. Daniel SEM 2004 gave it a 10. Passing everywhere. Last corner pass for the win. JJ and P6 waiting for Justin to eat some crow. Priceless. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, tastes good. Transocean Trojan says it's a 10. I mean, as a fan of motorsport, what more could you want? 
seeing people say lack of a high line made it less interesting. On the flip side of that, guys were still going high and passing it just took balls of steel. Fantastic race, in my opinion. It was a very good race, and I maybe I'm stingy at giving out nines and tens, but first hundred laps, I think, left some to be desired, and I still feel like, to me, I'm grading on a bit of a curve because I do remember how great Texas races used to be, and it still doesn't rival that. It's a lot better than what we've seen the last three, four years. It still doesn't rival those races. Well, I don't think we're ever going to get back to the no. like early, late 90s, early 2000s well, I IRL. Yeah, I don't, and I don't need pack racing okay. like that. I'm just talking about, you know, just being able to make both lines work. And sometimes there was a, a two and a half line, you know, you can make work sometimes. And, and just the ability to slingshot your way around. There was just, there was a lot of action on track on Sunday, but it still wasn't what we've seen at Texas in its heyday. And even the 2019 race, as I recall, was pretty decent. I know a lot of people yeah. go back to 2017. And we have short memories, for sure. We feel like it struggled for a long time, but it's only been a couple of years. Yeah, 2020 and 2021, as far as being really, really tough to watch. Right. Jamin T14, solid nine. Enjoyed every bit of the race, plus a last lap pass for the lead tends to make a race seem better than it may have truly been. I agree. Definitely the best Texas race of the last few years. Uh, Poet Shevchenko gave it a 10. This race did an incredible thing. It made me not want Texas to leave the calendar. I think the cool March weather is the key to this. Uh, Hunter's Way 67 gave it an 8. Probably would have been a 10 without that crap up there. Talking about <laughs> PBJ, PJ1. Chucky WX says, is this super speedway running lead to 16th in Georgetown? If so, JJ's in the mix for the 106th. Jeremy from HBG gave it a 9. Lack of regular second lane took a point. Yeah, I mean, I... I can't disagree with that. Uh, L-U-R-I-B-E-9, because I, oh, L-U-R-I-B-E-9. says 10 out of 10 race score, no question. Um, looking at some of the other responses on this. Uh, let's see. G-A-M-N-M-T-X-1 gave it a 10. <laughs> Twitter handles are getting harder and harder to read these days. <laughs> yeah, right? I think... Part of me giving it an 8.5, and we, we judge the race primarily in the racing, but I mentioned this before, is when you, and I mentioned it with Daytona 24 in terms of people not in the seats, is it takes away part of the event for me, or at least the race, when there's hardly anybody there to see it. And that impacts me when I'm watching the race. Is, is it possible not to notice the fact that there aren't very many people there? And I think it could be the the greatest on-track race ever, but it, it takes something away from the excitement and energy when there's nobody there. All right. More responses on Rate the Race. Zach C8771. I'll give it a nine and a half because of how hard it exceeded my expectations. What a finish. Gutted for Scott. Bravo. Perhaps RIP to Texas, but maybe surprisingly, I hope we get another go there. Uh Racer Mac RTP one says nine and a half. I got everything, everything in all caps. I could possibly want in a race. Continuing on here, spin o three one seven. Give it a ten. Um, let's see a few more picks. I think, I think I'm missing one or two here. Okay, Vicky Lynn twenty six solid eight and a half. Third lane still unusable. Second lane barely usable and pretty sad attendance as per oval usual. Sadly. But the racing was actually really good. A ton of passing throughout the field. And OMG Jimmy, that top 15 would be good. But sixth <laughs> is fantastic. Predicted by our Caleb Hatch. 
Well, not predicted. Anticipated? I'm not going to claim to say, oh, he's going to have a big race, but I did say top 15. Yeah, and I scoffed at that, and he was way above that. To me, once he got past the start of the race and didn't get caught up in anything, I thought he could have a mid-pack day. And then literally every crash happening right in front of him. Yeah, staying (laughs) out of trouble, avoiding crashes, making some decent passes. It was a great day for Jimmy Johnson. That that made it possible for him to actually finish in the top 10. Okay, moving on with more on the mailbag, just because there is so much on just rate the race and, and everything. Um, let's see, we have more here on which driver impressed you the most. 63% said Johnson, 27% Ferrucci, 6% other, 4% Malukas. Uh, Hunter's Way 67 said Jimmy was good, but he should be. He's on arguably the best team. He's got a ton of oval experience. My pick is Santucci. Jumping in that car this morning, putting it P9. Shout out to Malukas as well. Heck of a save. DC Soda. Didn't think Johnson had much this weekend after qualifying. Very impressed with the run today. I'm analog. Says I picked JJ because he had a great race. But then again, what was the stat they put up? He's done 11,000 laps. Either way, all three had a really impressive race. Talking about the three options. Vicky Lynn 26 says definitely Ferrucci to only have jumped in that car that morning. They had only half a uh, tuning time. I think he said ninth is awesome. Stealth 1014. Why doesn't Ferrucci have a full time ride? The kid is a top 10 driver. Proves it every time he gets a chance. 19th, he was 13th in points. And 20, he was 13th in points. 14 out of 17 races. Tony an average finish of 8.4. And we talked about this before. It's he's he's not made friends with. Yeah. People in the paddock. There are two reasons. He doesn't bring enough money and he doesn't have a lot of friends in the paddock. Those are the reasons why Santino Flucci doesn't have a full-time ride. All right, moving on. What track do you most want to see on the 2023 IndyCar schedule? I don't know if I've ever seen so many votes for a poll that we've done. Really? 103 votes. Nice. Thanks to everyone who voted. 50% said Milwaukee. 28% Homestead. 5% said third IMS road course. (laughs) <laughs> I, I threw that in there to be funny. And oh gosh. 17% said other. So uh, here are the responses on that. Bill Hesse says not against the mile or Homestead, but I would think, uh, but I think I would rather they go to Mexico if possible. Better chance to grow the series, I think. And they talked about that in years past. It's kind of been quiet on that front recently, especially coming off a, another very good season by Pato Award. You think that would be more at the forefront, but haven't heard anything. Vicky Lynn 26 says, I'd prefer another Canadian race, hopefully on the West Coast again. There's always Michigan, Cleveland, dot, 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 with a wink face emoji. <laughs> same old, same old. Nick J. Fletcher says, how did Kentucky fall off the face of the earth in these conversations? Uh, well, because Kentucky is like a parking lot for like either truck trailers or pickup trucks. I mean, it, seriously, that yeah, track it, is it's going to be torn down. It's gone. Unfortunately, I went to a couple of races there. It was a great time, as did you. Right. I mean, it's, it's a great, I, it was in the heyday, it was a great place to watch race, not too far, you know, just south of Cincinnati. So it, it was a great, uh, great environment, great atmosphere. But unfortunately, it was just one of those tracks that in the heyday of NASCAR popped up. And now that that bubble has burst, it's, it just doesn't have enough cachet to really, you know, add anything to really anybody at this point in terms of series. Daniel SCM 2004 says Cleveland or Cole, a return to Disney would be magical. I see what you did there. Uh, P Gaynor 14 and a perfect world Milwaukee. 
but I voted Homestead because I think some of the F1 buzz down there could rub off on an event, especially if they center the marketing around Grosjean or the drivers that are based out of there. That is a great point. Yeah, I like not it. really thought of. Do you want a job with IndyCar? <laughs> Can you do marketing? <laughs> uh, JP underscore Orlowski 27 says, got to be Milwaukee, but not at the expense of Texas. After Sunday's race, we got to get at least given another year. Um, I don't, and again, another typo here. I, I don't want the IMS road. I, I don't think the IMS road course needs to, at least not with the same layout. Just chuck Milwaukee in there and life's grand. Uh, Racer Mac RTP one says Milwaukee and Homestead. Transocean Trojan says let's put Milwaukee back on the schedule and see if everyone who's been crying about it actually shows up. Kuda, yeah, there you yes. go. That's what I'm talking about. I like that. Say, uh, Troy L. Vaughn, hoping for Michigan or Fontana. Well, at least they're not going to completely ruin Fontana. Which hadn't even started. That's why they had a race there a cup this year. They hadn't even started any of those renovations. I don't know if they've started now. I don't think that's happening. Or not. I don't uh, know. Poet Shevchenko says, you made my day worse, bringing up the concept of a third IMS road course race. <laughs> I hope you're pleased with yourself. Yes. Hey, we, we, why stop yes, with three? Let's just get a four. Yeah, four. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Auto Sport Lab says I can make the conception even worser. Doubleheader for a third IMS Roval. <laughs> so like uh, bring back the Harvest GP weekend as a doubleheader to end the season. Would. Yeah, I I, uh, I understand why IndyCar has that second race IMS road course. I don't like it. But I understand it. Just to add the cachet to the yeah. weekend. I, I don't like it either, but that's where we're at. Um, let's see. We have a few more, uh, IndyCar DJ 32. I picked a third IMS road course race. It's the only one guaranteed to be profitable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the end, that's important. Uh, Indy cart says Cleveland. I don't get the hype around Milwaukee. Most races there are dull. A lot of votes for Watkins Glen as well. Bauer racing said Watkins Glen, uh, flute fire said Watkins Glen. Big D cart said Cleveland Roval. Remember that proposal? Oh. Uh, D Rankin 21 said MIS. Um, an- another one talking about, you know, the F1 connection with Homestead. Zach C8771. Walkie's a nice nostalgic choice. But I feel like Homestead can re- really be built into a staple pre made oval for the series going into the future. Hopefully, roll into the hype of the F1 race. If that stays in a spring slot, they can make a big event out of it. Interesting. I know. I like the idea of kind of combining some of those. It's, I feel like it's unique. I, I don't know. I don't know how that works, but is yeah. it's a unique idea. Potential there, most definitely. But in the end, all these tracks listed, if they come back and there's nobody in the seats, then it goes away. And I think in a lot of ways with Milwaukee, I felt like that was it once it came back and nobody showed up. But maybe we'll be wrong. Uh, P. Gaynor 14, who was at the race, uh, messaging us, chatted with Michael Shank for a few minutes about you all profiling his IRL career after the race, LOL. Hashtag two, true story, sent a picture with Shank. That's Excellent. awesome. That's awesome. Thanks for the shout out. Uh, Autosport Lab, this is on Rate the Race, gave it an eight, more than I expected. Quite entertaining, but second lane didn't work. I get that there are complaints. I would say, though, drivers who were brave enough were able to, it was a lane and a half for sure. Right, yeah. You so had they could, some room maneuver, maneuver there. They could make something happen out of it, yeah. I guess is and, my point. And I think if more drivers would have went out to that optional special section that sh- session that shouldn't have been optional, it should have been mandatory, 
then I think, you know, you could have maybe really rubbered in a complete second line. This from Jim Panther talking about what race they want to return. The Glen promoted well and on a date that makes sense or paired with an IMSA race. will have a good chance for success. I don't think they would pair it with an IMSA race because IMSA wants it to be a standalone thing. Correct. That's, that's the issue there. Nobody wants to play second fiddle to the other. No, definitely not. And that's just, that's how it's been, you know, outside of Long Beach and then sometimes Detroit. Yeah. And I understand that while that used to be, I think you're just the people in control on both sides just don't want to share the weekend. And, you know, I understand that. These from Marty O'Fims or Marty of IMS. There we go. Two <laughs> things from this episode. If this is a gap year for Callum Eilat, where would he go in F1? Ferrari and customer teams are stacked. Maybe if one of the older drivers fall off, I would guess it'd have to be what? Like Haas or yeah, Alfa Romeo. Elsewhere. So, and it's still so early in the season. We don't know who, where is going to be open, what's going to be open. So I, I don't know. Maybe he could have multi-years. Maybe he just goes back over there as a, a reserve. Uh, that's not ideal, but you know, I, it's, it's F1. Anything can happen, right? That's right. And then he also says NASCAR at Le Mans is weird. I already have a presence in Europe with Euro NASCAR, and it's frequently more entertaining than Cup. Yeah, it's it's just for PR and attention. Yeah, PR and attention to, to your direct biggest series that you want to try to grow, not just nationally, but globally. They're seeing what Formula One is doing, and they want to be able to make an impact and, and tap into some additional fans overseas. And this is the way you do it. Whether it works or not, who knows? But it's an admirable effort by Cup to do it. Continuing on with, uh, okay, I posted this. Us, whenever people talk about the IndyCar Championship before the Indy 500, picture of Elio pointing his finger at the camera like he did I liked it. on Sunday. Uh, P. Gaynor 14, but Jimmy is tied for 10th, LOL. <laughs> I didn't know that. I haven't looked. I haven't looked. I, I know Scott McLaughlin's leading the standings just by just obvious. Just makes sense. Yes. Yeah, obvious deduction. Uh, Jordan underscore Wilman just read someone on our IndyCar make a case for Connor Daly winning the championship this year. I don't even know where he's at in the standings, so I, I can't. Me neither. We, we will talk about that the first week of June after the Indianapolis 500. Uh, Breezy Noljam says, and Elio ought to know four time. Because <laughs> he's not won a championship, but he's four-time Indy 500. Yes, sir. So that's that's the difference there. Um, let's see. Sammy with a bunch of numbers that I'm not going to read on Twitter. Please don't ever point your three-win finger at me. It's clearly a Paul Tracy fan. <laughs> Upset there. Sorry, Maybe it's Paul Life. Tracy even. It could be. Life is not fair. Um, and then we have this on the uh, point standings for our fantasy. Well, yeah, the, the important fantasy. Yes. Or the important point standings right now. Jamin T14 says, I'm proud to be Team Foyt entry at the back of this fine list. We're going to upgrade engineering staff and come back stronger. I like it. You got a couple weeks off, trying to rearrange some things. I think there's a there's some things to like out of the Foyt camp the first few weeks. So build on the positives. All right. And then we have a couple emails to get to. Like I said, we have a ton on this week's edition of the mailbag. And a couple of emails for you. And then we'll move on and quickly get to news and notes and more. First off from Don. No one that comes to IndyCar and Ovals, the grading scale is always dumbed down, but Sunday's race at TMS answer the question, what do you put on a race and no one shows up? Saturday crowd for qualifying can be counted on fingers and toes, and Saturday's attendance was Fontana size. 
Uh, I'd be surprised if the concession stands even bothered to open. Why not return to the Burke Lakefront Airport and configure the airstrips for a roval? Cars could use the speedway wings. The wide open course uh, would be safe and there would be no problem attracting a large crowd. That's Don from Ohio. I still feel like it's worth making it work at Texas. If Texas Motor Speedway wants IndyCar back, I think that's a huge thing. I think you make it work if Texas wants IndyCar because as we've seen, there's plenty of race courses throughout North America that do not currently want IndyCar. So why would you go away from one that does want you, particularly after the positive steps we saw taken last weekend? All right. And then this email from uh, Carl via the website, um, third OEM. I know for a while that Toyota Gazoo was rumored to be announced in January and then February is the third OEM. Now with the new engine being pushed back to 2024, any idea when an announcement will be made? None. No idea. No insight. Maybe we'll get some more as they start testing, you know, as soon as next week. But, um, who knows at this point, we're all in the dark. All right. Time to quickly go through news and notes. Carb day concert is official. Rick Springfield, special guest Morris Day and the time. I've heard of Rick Springfield. And Kings of Chaos. Um, I don't know. I've heard of Rick Springfield. Yeah. And again, if you don't like the concert, that's okay. Other people will, and they'll have a fun time. Yeah. We're not here to complain about the Absolutely. concerts. Um, IndyCar Live, new streaming service for international viewers with limited broadcast opportunities can watch IndyCar. They have all the details at IndyCar.com. That's very cool. Uh, just wish the Canadian viewers could have access to Peacock, personally. Uh, Hunko's Hollinger Racing made an announcement. They partnered with GPN FTS, powered by Velus, for the 2022 season. Uh, something about the metaverse, blockchain, NFT. I don't know what any of that means, <laughs> but they have a sponsor, and that's really cool. Sponsors are good. That's right. And then Marshall Pruitt had an Indy 500 update. They're stuck on 32. That's the Racer.com article. And, you know, he mentions several names at play. We obviously know Preda Autosport and Simona D. Silvestro trying to get a ride. We know about Stefan Wilson and, and Cusick Motorsports trying to get a ride there. And then uh, the the drama between Top Gun Racing and R.C. Enerson. Then another name to throw into the fold, right, is that... Um, Catherine Legg. Uh, an effort for her to get a ride back in motion. I think if and all these team team stains racing who you yes. loved back in the day. Yes. Back. And, 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 and I think if all of these efforts combine their efforts into one, they could make it happen. And I think something does come together for somebody, but at this point I'll be surprised if there's any more than 33. I would agree, which is unfortunate because it seems it's more on the teams wanting not just the money, but competitive ride. And I get that. Right. Well, I think it's a casualty of having a bigger full-time field is, you know, less uh, spare cars if you have more full-time cars. So, you know, you get the positive for the full season, but maybe the negative in May. And a third OEM would solve all these problems. That is correct. A couple of notes from Adam Stern talking about uh, Andretti, their F1 bid, F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali doesn't sound like he necessarily wants to add an 11th team. This is in a Sky Sports article. Today, F1 with 10 teams with the competition on the track is very, very solid. Therefore, I don't think it's the most important element to grow F1. And then also this from Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal. 
F1 expected to select November as the month to hold its new Las Vegas night race. It's close to being announced as starting next year per sources. Well, once again, the biggest hurdle to Andretti Global entering Formula One is Formula One itself, which to me is kind of a big hurdle. Yeah, a bit of a bit of a problem. Andretti Global, this is going to show up in a couple of years to Bahrain and be like, you know, we're here. We're just going to pretend we're in. Time for tweets of the week, and then we'll get to our random split era driver of the week. This from F1 S1MP on Twitter. Haas is the clear example. If you quit toxic people, your life improves. <laughs> yeah, how about Haas? It was very exciting watching the the first race of the season for Formula One just to see what was happening. You know, Haas doing their thing, McLaren struggling, Mercedes an obvious not number one at that point, Ferrari bouncing back. It was a lot to like. And and I think that the beauty of it is, is we potentially have a Formula One season where this weekend in Saudi Arabia could be completely different. I think you're seeing potentially with with the new setups and new cars is what what does well at Ray, at track A may not do be, as good at B and vice versa. So maybe some uh, fluidity in who's good at each racetrack, you know, similar to what we see in in IndyCar and Cup. All right, next on tweets of the week. This from C. DeHard, uh, Christopher DeHard, IndyCar uh, writer. When asked what he could have done to get the three thousandths of a second to get pull, Scott McLaughlin cheekily said, I should have gone for a leak. (laughs) (laughs) Every little bit helps, even urine. That's great. And then um, we posted, who wins at Texas? I think you posted that. And Indy Oreo, John Oreovitz, said the Delora spare parts vendor. Which, yes, but maybe not as much as we anticipated. I mean, there was just... Yeah. I mean, you could say arguably the hardest impact, the the roughest wreck of the, the weekend was Jack Harvey in terms of, of cars. I mean, it definitely was for a driver, considering Harvey wasn't cleared, but uh, definitely the, the, you know, you're always kind of wary of the, the wrecks that can happen at Texas, but... All of the accidents during the race were relatively tame compared to what we can and have seen at Texas. All right, random split era driver of the week time. All right, we're going to 1999, the midst of the cart season, and we're going to, let's see, I'm. it's almost like I picked these out of a hat, but I don't. We're going to Hogan Racing and Luis Garcia Jr. Who? And his primary sponsor, Tang. That's awesome. Absolutely. So we look at Luis Garcia Jr. and a pretty, you know, similar to other guys that we've we've had in this segment is pretty, uh, you know, driver with a lot of success is from Brazil. Uh, began his racing career in kart, or uh, excuse me, in in karting, not kart. Raced in for- Brazilian Formula Ford, uh, and then raced Formula Three. Raced Indy Lights ninety seven and ninety eight. Won us a race. At Cleveland, one of people's favorite tracks that they would love to see return, made his kart debut in the 1999 season opener at Homestead Miami Speedway for Coin and raced seven races with Coin that year before moving to Hogan Racing. And that's where he made the three starts uh, in that year. And then he ran in 2000 in the Arciero Project Racing Group Reynard Mercedes, sponsored by Brazilian companies Hollywood and Imbratel. Okay. And he scored six points that season. Good enough for 27th in the championship. His best finish was 11th in the Michigan 500. He even raced twice in 2001 for coin. 
But uh, poor finishes, lack of funding, and it ended his cart career. So when you look at, you know, over the course of three seasons, got a, a pretty decent amount of, of seat time for a guy that you and I had never heard of. He raced the entire season in 2000 for RCRO Racing. He also teamed with Elio when he was at Hogan uh, in 99. Oh. Elio, and that's back when it was Elio Castro and then, yes, De- and and then, then separate word Nevis, or there's the hyphen, I can't remember which. It was yeah. not all one word, though. Yeah, so, uh, and that was in 1999 for Hogan Racing and, and was with Peyton Coin Racing earlier in the season. And as we mentioned, his top finish of his career was 11th at Michigan in 2000. But a guy that overall raced, you know, I'm looking at it, 19, over close to 30 races in cart. And a guy that, that you and I were unfamiliar with. But uh, Luis Garcia Jr., after 2001, there's not a lot on him. And uh, has not driven in a professional auto race since his last cart experience. But uh, a guy born in 1971, May 4th, and uh, from Brasilia, Brazil, and he is this week's random split era driver of the week, Mr. Luis Garcia Jr. And some great teammates with Peyton Coyne, too. You, you got Michelle Jordan Jr., Dennis Vitolo. Yes. Galter Salas. It's a who's who of random Mimo split Gidley. era drivers. <laughs> some, Absolutely. Some great stuff there. And yes. I'm looking at these 99 uh, cart sponsors, and wow. Ooh, Hollywood oh. Cigarettes. Target, Valvoline. Tang was all Marlboro. over both Garcia and Dennis Vitolo's cars. Shell. Oh, man. Budweiser. Motorola. You, you mentioned Motorola. Herdez. Cool which was with, cigarettes. Yeah. Takati. Visteon. Yeah, mine. Pioneer. Target. Players. McDonald's. Castrol. I mean, th- this is peak cart here. I mean, and who can forget Kmart? Oh, of course. Newman Haas. How could I forget Kmart? So, yeah, between Kmart and the cigarette sponsorships, those are ones you'll never see return. I think I saw a couple days ago, there's like three Kmarts left in the United States. I think that's correct. I think so. Chances are they don't have the budget to be a sponsor in auto racing. All right. Well, that's this week's random split era driver of the week. Next week, we'll be back to recap testing on the IMS road course, but going the opposite direction that we're used to as they test the new 2.4 twin turbo Hybrid, I don't know, however many, what, Kurs units? Kurs, throw everything in there. We'll have complete breakdown yes. of the times and finishes, <laughs> most definitely. Not not quite like that, <laughs> but we'll discuss the test and how that went. That's coming up next week. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.